Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Valley Life. My name is Adam Young. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are continuing our series, uh, exploring what true identity means. And uh, to do that, I want to catch you up a little bit on where we were last week when we got started. And then we'll kind of jump into um, our topic for this morning. And so if you want to follow along with us, um, if you brought a Bible, you're welcome to open up and just follow along as we call out the scripture passages. If you want to follow along in the Bible app, then that's made available to you as well. And so last week we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, before I go there, let me just summarize a few parts of it. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul starts off, uh, Paul, a man who um, devoted his life to destroying everything that Jesus stood for and everything that Jesus taught, um, a guy who had devoted his life to destroying the church Jesus had started, when he encountered Jesus after the resurrection face-to-face, it changed everything about him. He went from being the greatest destroyer of God's church to the greatest builder of God's church. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, he's writing this letter to a church and he's reminding them of what he used to teach them when he was there as one of their pastors. And he reminds them that he came to teach that Jesus had come and had died according to the scriptures, just as all the scriptures in the Old Testament before Jesus uh, were preparing for Jesus came, and just like those scriptures predicted hundreds of years before Jesus came, Jesus died for our sins. That he was buried, and then on the third day, just like the scriptures predicted, he rose from the grave. And upon his resurrection, Jesus started appearing to people. He first appeared to the 12 disciples, the 12 that followed Jesus around everywhere, Uh, Then he began to appear to large masses of people. At one point, Paul even says, listen, most of these people who saw Jesus after the resurrection are still alive. As if he's saying, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. Jesus continued to appear to more, even to his own half-brother, James, a guy who, while Jesus was alive, didn't buy into all that Jesus was selling, but after the resurrection came to believe that his half-brother, Jesus, really was the Son of God. And then Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 8. Then he says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And then here at the end, um, just the beginning of verse 10, he says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul makes this really interesting statement. He ties his identity, who he is, to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The reason we're even talking about this and going through this series, Who Am I?, is because we are preparing for Easter, a time when annually we just stop and think and reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, we talk about it every Sunday, but at Easter, it's a special time for us to focus in on it. And here, Paul ties his identity to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And so last week, we asked this question. How would you fill in this blank? How would you finish this statement? I am what? Maybe you might say, I'm happy or I'm sad. I'm hopeful or I'm hopeless. I'm finished. Or maybe you would say, I'm just getting started. How would you finish this statement? 
And then we look at how Paul would finish this statement. And to do that, we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I recognize if you were here last week, you feel like we're just going back through last week's sermon. I promise I'm almost done with last week's stuff. But this passage not only helped us discover how we fill in that blank last week, it's also going to help us this week. And that's why we're there again. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And so as we asked this question last week, not only how would you finish this statement, how would Paul finish this statement? This man who saw Jesus resurrected and it changed everything about his life, even how he saw himself. It changed his own identity. And last week we saw that Paul would say, I am new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. But there's something else I want to look at in this text that we just read. It's one other passage from the very beginning. And it's this, this focus on the love of Christ, the love of Christ. And so as we reflect on how we might finish this statement, how we might fill in this blank, For those who are in Christ, we could not only say we are new, but we could also say this, that I am, that you are loved. Now, can I get an amen on that one? So here's what we can do, right? We can just say, hey, amen. Case is closed. I'm loved. You are loved. God loves us. Let's uh, wrap it up. Go home and beat all the other church people to lunch. But I'm a preacher. I can't preach that short. I mean, that's it, right? I'm loved. End of story, right? Or is it? Is this the end of the story? Or is this just the beginning of the story? When we say, I am loved, is that the end? Or is that really just the beginning? Look at this passage again with me. Just these first two verses. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The love of Christ controls us. And by that, Paul means that the love of Christ that was displayed by his death on the cross. And this love that leads us or controls us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him, for the one who died. Paul, the same author, would say it this way in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Here's what's amazing about the love of God. God's love is not achieved. God's love is received. See, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Before we could have done anything to earn it. His love was put on display on the cross while we were still his enemies, while we were still living in rebellion, while we were still sinners, God put his love on display on the cross. And then Paul would say it like this in Galatians 2.20, carrying out the same idea that he just talked about in 2 Corinthians. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This love, this love that controls us, Paul is going to hint here. He's going to hint here at how Christ's love should control us. But there's actually another author in the New Testament who's going to go in much greater detail. And so I want to look at what he has to say. And so we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible open or one that was underneath your seat or in the seat in front of you, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be there for a little bit. As a matter of fact, that's mostly we're going to spend the rest of our time together. Or you can follow along as it's going to be on the screen um, or in the Bible app. And so John, one of those 12 disciples... One of the 12 who spent three years traveling with Jesus, camping with Jesus, listening to him teach, seeing all that he did, is going to write about and reflect on the love of God. And we're going to start our journey in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And here's how John is going to start it for us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. As we start to reflect on this love, this love that controls us, here's how John might say it. If I'm loved, then I must be loving. If I've really experienced the love of God then it's going to flow out. Then, then I'm going to express love to others because if God is love and I'm in him, then love's going to be a natural outflow of who I am. If I am loved, if that statement's true, if we would fill in that blank, I am loved, then John says, well, then you must be loving to others. How could you not since God is love? Let's keep going in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our Sins. John is saying here just what Paul said earlier, that the love of God was put on full display. Here he says that it was made manifest among us. 
God put his love on a billboard, which was his son on the cross, so that we might not live for ourselves, but that we might live for him, just like Paul talked about. Let's keep going, verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, if you're catching on, John's going on a rant about love. Okay, we're only halfway done. Okay, he's got a lot more to say. Now, I want you to look here in the middle, right when verse 12 starts. No one has ever seen God. Does it seem for a second like John lost his train of thought? Like he's going on and on and on about love. As we're about to see, he's got more to say about love. And then he, he has this moment where he's like, oh, and no one's ever seen God. And then he goes on about love. What, it almost seems as though he lost his attention for a minute. But if you think about what John is teaching here, about what happens when we, when we see God's love on display, about when we're united with God, who is love, when we understand God's love for us and it starts to flow out in love for others, here's what I think John is saying. If we see true love, the love of God in Jesus, then the world should see it in us. No one can see God, but they can see him in us by the way we love others. Now, where's, where's John getting all this? I mean, it's awesome. It's good. Where's this coming from? Well, I can imagine that John was pretty influenced by his time with Jesus. Seeing Jesus interact with others, the love that he showed towards those society had largely rejected, how he sacrificed himself for others. But it wasn't just what John saw, it was also what John heard. If we go to John chapter 13, so we're in 1 John. This would be the first of the letters that John wrote. But this isn't all that he wrote, and he didn't just write letters. He also wrote a, wrote a gospel account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And in John chapter 13, we are less than 24 hours away from the crucifixion of Jesus. It is Jesus' final evening and time with his disciples if you've ever spent time with someone in their final moments or their final days, you know that when they have the choice, and we recognize not everyone always has this option, but when someone has the option to choose their last words, to choose the final things they say to people, they say really important things. And if you've ever spent time with someone in their final days, it's hard to forget the last things they say. I'll never forget, I think the first really close death experience that I had would have been between my eighth grade and my freshman year of high school. I had had a few distant family members pass away before that, but um, that summer, my grandfather, my dad's dad, passed away. 
And we were really, really close to my dad's parents. And he passed away at home under hospice care. And I will never forget those final few days where we, we did nothing but just spend time in the house with him. And I'll never forget my dad leaning over his dad in bed as my grandfather started sharing things with him. I mean, I can picture, I, I, if I were an artist, I'm not, I could draw that scene perfectly. I remember every detail. I remember how the furniture was arranged in the room. I remember everything he said too. And in John chapter 13, we're in that final evening of Jesus's life with his disciples. And see if you can't recognize whether or not John remembered some of Jesus's last words. Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. No one has seen God but they can see him in you if you will love others like I've loved you. I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't think John ever forgot those words because everything he's writing in this chapter four of this letter just screams these final words of Jesus. Let's look at a few more things John writes. We'll go back to his letter in 1 John chapter 13. Uh, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has seen his son, has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he is he in God. So we know that we abide in God and God abides in us because he gives us his spirit. And we know we have his spirit if, here at the end, we confess that Jesus is the son of God. And with this confession is wrapped up the confession of not that Jesus was God's son, but that he was God's son who came to accomplish something on this earth. That as God's son, that he became like one of us to live amongst us so that he could die for us. That as God's son, he came to display God's love for us. Then verses 16 through 18. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. As we come to know and to believe the love of God, it replaces the fear we once lived with. And I think the biggest reason why is in this next verse. 
we love because he first loved us. We don't earn God's love. He loves us first. It's what enables us to know love and to share and express love. We don't love others in order to earn God's love because his love precedes ours. We don't fear punishment and judgment because we aren't waiting to see whether or not God will love us. We aren't hoping that by loving other people or doing good deeds towards others might earn God's love. He's already declared it and displayed it for us on the cross. And here's how John closes out this section, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must love also his brother. So when we declare, I am loved, it's not the end. It's the beginning. Because once we experience the love of Christ, we naturally grow into being more and more loving towards others. When we come to recognize, to know, and to believe that we do not earn God's love, then we, start, we stop expecting others to earn our love. As we look upon the greatest display of love, love made manifest in Jesus on the cross, as we look upon that display of love, we recognize the opportunity we've been given to mirror that by displaying love to others. I am, you are, we are loved. And being loved by God is not the end. It's just the beginning. Let's pray. Lord, it seems so inadequate to say thank you for your love. The love that you have given to us and expressed and displayed through your son on the cross is worth so much more than just a thank you. You giving your life for us in response we say thank you but in response we also give our lives to you. That because of your love, we no longer live for ourselves, but for you. So Lord, as we reflect on the love that you have given to us, something that we receive, it's not something that we have to achieve. When we reflect upon the love that you put on display on the cross, the love that came while we were still sinners, the love that came before our love of you or anyone else. Lord, I pray that you would help that to sink into who we are, that it would change and transform our identity. 
I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed for just a moment as we're going to enter into a time of response, a time to sing, a time to pray. It's an opportunity for you to to reflect on and respond to the love of God, to celebrate his great love for you. And how that love controls or compels us to love others. And so as we respond, this is an invitation. It's an invitation to you to reflect on and respond to his love. And for you this morning, it may be that moment where you receive his love for the first time. Maybe you've spent your whole life trying to earn his love trying to earn his approval, just like you've been trying to earn the love and approval of other people in your life. Maybe this moment is the first moment that you've realized that God doesn't require you to earn his love. He's already poured it out. And maybe right where you are right now, this is that moment that you confess Jesus as the Son of God that you identify with him and his death and his resurrection and it changes who you are. And as we reflect on how it changes our identity, it brings us to the table, to the cup and the bread where we reflect on the love of God put on display. That same night when Jesus was spending that final moments with his disciples, when he taught his disciples about that new commandment to love one another, It was during that same conversation that he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took a cup which represented his blood and a new covenant in his blood, a new way to relate to God. And so we now go to the table to take the cup and to take the bread as a remembrance of his display of love for us, his broken body and his shed blood for you. Lord, would you be honored by the way in which we respond to you this morning as we both celebrate your love for us and how that love compels us to love others. Would you be honored and glorified in this moment this morning?